That's great. It starts with an earthquake. Birds, snakes, and aeroplanes. Lenny Bruce is not afraid. Eye of a hurricane. Listen to yourself. Cheering world serves its own needs. Don't miss over your own needs. Speed it up and not speed. Grunt no strength. The lava starts to clatter with the fear. Hot down. Hot wire in the fire. Represent seven games and a government for hire in a combat site. Lefter wasn't coming in a hurry with the furies breathing down your neck. Team by team reporters babble jump to the trunk of that low plane. Fine, then uh-oh, overflow population common group, but it'll do. Save yourself, serve serve world, serve zone needs. Listen to your heart bleed. Tell me with the rapture and the revenant and the right. Right, youth, patriotic, slam, fight, bright, light, feeling, pretty, psyched. It's the end of the world as we know it. It's the end of the world like, as we know it. I would like, if I may, to take you on a strange journey. Welcome to Nine Cents. Nine Cents is a satanic perspective of our modern world, and I'm your host, Reverend Campbell. It is great to have you. It is March 8th, and I've got a great show for you this week. I got some heavy stuff to lay on you, but we're going to postpone some of the heavy stuff because first and foremost, I want to uh, let you all know, I'm not 100%. I'm like floating somewhere around 70%. <laughs> I got all sorts of like coronavirus things happening. <laughs> I actually don't know if it's coronavirus uh, and it's probably not, but you know, and actually like I, it's gotten to the fever pitch that I didn't go out to hang out with friends last night because of this that's going on, which is weird because normally I just don't touch anyone, don't get involved in anything and it's not an issue. This time, however, Oy vey, now I'm worried. <laughs> There's something going on. I guess maybe I shouldn't be licking doorknobs. I mean, when you have a hobby, you stick to the hobby. Come on May, right? Well, I guess not. Um, happy International Women's Day, everyone. <laughs> I know I said that in like a mocking way. I don't mean it that way. I'm actually honest. I was raised, uh, as <laughs> most people are, uh, by women. But the household was primarily women. Uh, they taught me how to interact with other girls and how to treat them nicely. And I think the world is an infinitely better place, all in all, when more women have a voice in the society that they live in. It's that simple. And so I absolutely celebrate International Women's Day. I'm not one who is intimidated by strong women. Uh, I think uh, those who are, <laughs> are pretty pathetic. And so why not celebrate empowered women? And because most of the women watching this are satanic witches, bravo to you, ladies. Thank you. And doing the good devil's work that you do. I love it. So, slander. All right. That being said, let me give a quick shout out to everyone in the chat room here. Lilith Malone. Well, how do you do? Uh, Zachary Bennett. Good to see you, man. Jason, thanks for joining. Mr. Vicar of Wicked! What? Alright, M. Ashworth, R. Dot M. Dot. Hello. And for anyone else... Oh, what's up, man? Uh, anyone else coming in here? Dennis, how you doing? Uh, thanks for joining live, Kyle. Good to see you. If you have any questions or comments throughout the course of this conversation, please put it out there in the chat. Have a conversation about it. That's what all of this thing is supposed to be about. Having a little bit of fun at the end of a long week with friends and... It's been a long damn week. But before I get into anything else, I want to give you guys a quick rundown about what the show is going to be covering. And the Devil's Advocate, that's right, last week I was called out for virtue signaling, so I'm going to talk about virtue signaling. In the Infernal Informant, we got two articles. The first is Google tracked his bike ride past a burglarized home, and that made him a suspect in the burglary. The second ar uh, article is Come and Take It. GOP Reverend Buck wields AR-15 in office, dares Biden and O'Rourke. So, we're going to close this out with a wee bit of a discussion about Trainspotting by Irvin Welsh. 
I just finished this book for the very first time, been a fan of the film for a very long time. So we're going to talk about books, we're going to talk about train spotting, and we're probably going to cover a little bit of drugs because that's kind of what it's all about. All right, that being said, um, I want to give a shout out really quick here because this has been an insane week of realization for me. Um, I have had a number of friends come out to me telling me that there are problems that they're dealing with. Um, and so as one friend, uh, well, let me, let me put it this, to you this way. Um, if you are a friend of mine, please listen to the following words. And if you're not, I don't know, put your hands over your ears and say, la, la, la. Um, please take care of yourselves. Uh, I mean, it sounds stupid and trite to say, but for fuck's sake, do your annual medical doctor visits, do your biannual dentist visits, eat a balanced diet, get a fair amount of exercise in your life, try not to drink and smoke too much, just take care of yourselves. And by doing this, you will identify problems before they occur or become serious problems, or it will help you fight those problems that you will inevitably run across because all life is, is a slow march to death. And that's what makes it so goddamn special. And for those of you whom I care about and whom I love, I want you to be around selfishly as long as possible so I can enjoy the fucking bright light that emanates out of you. I am incredibly grateful to know those of you whom I consider friends. And because I put such stock into you, I want you to preserve. So please take care of yourselves, people. It, it sounds stupid just out of nowhere if you don't know what I'm talking about. But again, a number of people that I have discovered just this fucking week. So please take care of yourselves. Um, that being said, Rusty, good to see you. One nine four five one two six six. Good to see you, man. Thanks for joining us. Strange. Um, I went to go get a haircut, and the stylist, whom I always go to, every every opportunity I get, I think she's fantastic. She does great fades. This wonderful Latin girl. Um, she started telling me about how horribly sick her husband is. How he has this massive flu that he's been dealing with for days now. Days now. Days now. Days that he's been dealing with this. Meaning, she's got it! If her husband has been dealing with the flu for days, and her not getting it in that time is like slim to none. And she's sitting here cutting my hair and touching my head and, and my face and my neck. As a carrier of the flu. Now, I'm not fanatical about... Um, like catching viruses and stuff like that. I'm not, I'm not one of those people that's crazy over the coronavirus hype because quite frankly, I'm not on social media, so I'm not inundated with it. I just get, you know, whatever the news is putting out there from time to time. Um, and so I haven't bought into the hysteria, but if you're touching my face <laughs> and your husband has a, a flu that's so bad that he can't go to work and he has to go to the hospital, maybe call in. That's all I'm saying. I love you cutting my hair. But maybe just call in because I've got kids that I don't want to pass on a flu to. I've like I had to deal with them getting sick and bringing it in the house. I don't want to be a part of the problem too. Like, come on, people. Man. All right. Anyway, drives me nuts. Like genuinely, if you're cutting my hair, if you are like all up in my shit with your fingers, maybe not tell me how deathly sick your loved ones are. Because the whole time, I'm just thinking, I can feel the virus sinking in through my head. <laughs> it's planting roots in my skull, man. Right? Like, I'm not the only one that would think that. It's not crazy. It's not, I'm not a hypochondriac. But don't be doing this. And then like, oh yeah, he was puking and vomiting and shit was all over the house. It was really disgusting. I had to go see the doctor because it's so bad. Fuck! <laughs> It's like the plague. I have the plague now. Uh, all right. Anyway, I feel fine except for the the little sinus and throat thing. 
So maybe it's not COVID. Maybe it's just a cold. <laughs> Sorry. No. Uh, my wife and I were watching, um, uh, what was it called? Uh, um, G.I. Jane, which, by the way, got terrible reviews. It's not great acting, except for Viggo Mortensen. But it's a good show. Like, I genuinely like the show. And the one thing it did was remind me how much I miss the military and how much all things being equal given a choice between being surrounded by a bunch of idiot soldiers or a bunch of idiot civilians i will always choose the soldiers every single time and as much as i can reflect fondly on the military experience that i had and as much as while i was in it i was not enjoying it i still think it was a net positive that I genuinely care about and I I miss it like with all of my being I just miss the connection that you have with your superior officers or your soldiers or your peers your, your fellow sergeants or you know whatever so I miss that man I, I genuinely do that that movie brought it all flooding back to me and it just made me feel like more people need to spend time in the service and not saying that is like this patriotic thing because as an American it's really hard to be patriotic um, especially since I've been alive anyway um, but it's a different breed of person you know you grow you are forced to grow after you go through that experience and it may not ultimately change a trajectory of your life or anything but it's good it's, it's genuinely a net positive all around and I miss my soldiers there was a um a battalion commander who came and, and gave a speech about how, as soldiers, he typically hears people complaining that, oh, I, you know, being a soldier is just like being someone's, you know, the government's bitch, for example, and you're giving up your rights to protect a bunch of other people's rights, and you're sent off to your death in, you know, pointless wars. Um, and he decided to speak about what it means to be a soldier and the honor that it means to stand up for something that is not just greater than yourself in terms of patriotic to your country, um, but that you're standing up collectively with brothers and sisters who have gone through the same training as you, who know what they have to do in their professions. And the honor of standing next to your fellow men and using that as your guide, your fellow soldier, and how, how that pride feeds into what it means to be a soldier. That you're not isolated unto yourself. This uh, monolith to be sacrificed. You're one of many that have chosen to fight and die with each other if your country calls on you to do that. And it completely changed my opinion of what it meant to be a soldier up to that point when I heard that speech. And I'm not doing it service because he did have like a big old, you know, hour-long speech um but goddamn if i don't miss that there it felt great you know having a purpose and now i'm in a profession where i convince people to buy products or to buy property or to essentially become consumers of which personally i find the longer i'm in this industry less and less satisfaction I was never as satisfied internally as I was when I was a soldier. Uh, so I miss it. So if any of you have the opportunity in whatever capacity to serve whatever country of origin you live in, I would say do it because it's worth it. Genuinely. Um, I was a 31 uniform signal support system specialist, Rusty. Uh, how do you reconcile satanic individualism and military service? That's that's a bigger conversation, and we'll probably have it in another time. But I want to I want to get into the show here. So let's go ahead and do a little bit of Devil's Advocate, shall we? I wanted to talk about virtue signaling so um, so that we all are on the same page 
the phrase virtue signaling has become a pejorative. Uh, Cambridge Dictionary definition is virtue signaling is the popular modern habit of indicating that one has virtue merely by expressing disgust or favor for certain political ideas or cultural happenings. It is incumbent upon the receiver of an opinion to decide whether or not the person is just sharing their ideas or whether they're virtue signaling. It's a pejorative. It, it's meant as an insult. Like, uh, no one should be above... Uh, uh, um, I'm trying to think. I should, probably should have thought about this before the show. <laughs> That's not how I roll, so you're just going to have to deal with this. Um, like, it's an abject negative to share what you consider to be bad behavior or good behavior in life, right? That's the culture that we live in nowadays. When someone says something that you don't like, then you're going to take the high road and call them all manner of names and say they're just virtue signaling and you're a, a higher state of person because you don't think the same way. But are you not doing the exact same thing by taking that stance? Can't you just accept someone's opinion as their opinion without it turning into some pissing contest? And in the context of a podcast that you tune into, what do you expect I'm going to do if not share an opinion? And if you don't happen to like that, then suddenly I'm virtue signaling? At what point are you not required to take responsibility for your own actions in either understanding perspective, opinion, or tuning into someone's fucking show that's based around opinions? Okay, so that being said, um, I do not know how, as a Satanist, a religion that is essentially defined by nine satanic statements, in brief, <laughs> statements which typically explain what a Satanist should be, how you could talk about that and not come off to some asshat as virtue signaling. In fact, a friend of mine, one Reverend Darren Desai, just released Nine Satanic Virtues, an essay which is, uh, as he re, uh, uh, sort of framed it, uh, Satanic Virtues corresponding directly to the Satanic Sins. So I want to go over these virtues. I didn't ask his permission. I hope it's okay. It was posted on the Church of Satan website. I highly recommend everyone go check it out, churchofsatan.com. It's worth the read. I'm not reading the whole thing, but I want to go over some of this. Because as Satanists, we act like uh, we're sort of above uh, the idea of having virtues. Like, because we're supposed to be ooky and evil and bad, how could we have any sort of internal virtue driving us, right? And yet there are. Abjectly, there are virtues that drive us as Satanists. And I would argue that if it weren't for those virtues existing and our using those virtues to drive us forward in life, we would not be Satanists because we would not be caring to uh, manipulate the world around us, to formulate goals and chase them and realize real world successes. It is these virtues specifically that drive us to that end and allow us to get to that end. So let me get in here. Intelligence. A stupidity is a cardinal sin to avoid. Intelligence is surely a virtue. Yeah. Yeah. Here's a part of intelligence that I find frustrating that not enough people wrap their arms around. And that is understanding that other people have different perspectives than you. That your thought process is not the end all to human expression. That simply because someone else has a different opinion is not a direct threat to you. But being informed about those decisions will actually help you learn and grow as an individual. It actually benefits you. Competency. Pride doesn't become pretension if you deliver the goods and accept responsibility for your path. Yeah. Acceptance. Remain keenly aware that you are strange to the herd and expect no understanding from them. Self-awareness. If you meditate on yourself, you can expect the animal in the mirror. Um, you, you would, I'm sorry, I, I read that wrong. You can accept what the animal in the mirror is. Um, this is one that I think is very challenging. And, and I think it's very challenging, not just because we live in an age of deceit where we actively lie. And I don't mind lying to other people or if anyone lies to other people, but we lie to ourselves. 
we wrap ourselves up in how we appear to others by the whole, by and large, and there are always exceptions to the rule, but as a culture, we wrap ourselves up in how others perceive us so much that we're not actually aware of who we are individually. And it takes a little bit of extra work to strip away those social layers that we put up in front of us to get to the core of who we are. Now, of course, you can use uh, books like uh, the Satanic Bible, Satanic Witch, in order to help you realize who you actually are. But until you do discover who that is, you will never be a successful Satanist. Self-awareness is incredible. And it's a virtue. Individuality. Uh, but how can you be an individual if you're all Satanists? If you're all wearing a sigil of Baphomets? If you're all doing the same thing? Well, that's the key. Just because you're a Satanist doesn't mean you're like every other Satanist. In fact, I don't think I've ever met two Satanists who are exactly alike, let alone two human beings that are exactly alike. And we shouldn't... I mean, there, there's nothing wrong with seeing someone and finding whatever they're bringing to the table attractive, whether it's their style or their personality or you know, how they present um, their, their profession or whatever it is, and being inspired by that and taking it and running with it in your own way. That doesn't mean you're copying someone. Uh, it just means that you're being informed by the society that you live in. That's a normal thing. But it's important to understand where you begin and where someone else ends. There is no cosmic satanic entity that everyone should aspire to. And if you think there is, you're doing it wrong. The emphasis of Satanism is on you, the individual. And that's why I find it so insane that you can have people who are literally claiming to be Satanists and yet collectively grouping together and dissenting to the organization that defined and defends the religion, whether they're never been a member former member, current member, if you have a problem with an organization that has nothing to do with you, the individual Satanist, and saying that somehow that it, it, like informs you as an individual, you're doing it wrong. You misunderstood the whole game. Everything in Satanism is about you, the individual. Everything. And the exercise of being a Satanist is practicing lesser magic, achieving goals, and finding real-world success. That's what it's all about. If you can't understand that, maybe you're in the wrong religion. And all of the cabbage-throwing and uh, complaining about that which you have no power over, and that literally does not affect you, you're just complaining because you want people to look at you, you will never find success. You will never find happiness. You will never be an effective Satanist if a Satanist you are. Individuality, it's important. Perspective. This, in my opinion, goes hand in hand with intelligence, as I just mentioned already, so I'm not going to go over it again. But by having perspective, by informing yourself about others' thoughts, you not only understand, again, that you're not the only one in the world with the only ideas in the world and the only truths in the world, but you'll actually be able to navigate your own thoughts better, formulate stronger opinions and decisions, and realize that sometimes you had the wrong ones, and that's okay. And the wrong ones, not because some uh, outside entity told you they were wrong, but because you came to those terms on your own through experience and study. And that's the best way to do it. Uh, appreciation of history. Regardless of the, peel, uh, the field, a key to any success will be able to identify historical patterns. This is pretty big if you're ever going to try to impact the world around you. Uh, understanding historical precedence and human behavior and where we've been and where we're going. Um, it, it's pretty important and it doesn't take a whole lot of your life to understand, so <laughs> please be aware uh, socially and politically of your culture that you're in. It's, it's pretty important to your survival, I would say. And pragmatism. It's part of and parcel of self-awareness, but like perspective on a broader level. Uh, if you would probably get fired by outing yourself as a Satanist, don't out yourself as a Satanist. Just be content with your secret. Uh, if you have to change an opinion on the fly for personal safety or further uh, momentum into whatever goals that you may have or uh, love, then change your opinion. 
or lie. You can lie. It's okay. Um, just be pragmatic about the way that you approach the greater world at large. You don't always have to carry it on your sleeve, and you don't always have to have your Baphomet untucked. Uh, and in fact, I would argue, it's a lot smarter to start with it tucked in at every case, and then, case-by-case -case basis, reveal it if you feel it's going to somehow benefit you. Um, refined aesthetics. Use aesthetic judgment to enhance your understanding of the world and get what you want out of it. So, I don't understand how someone can come across a podcast or just in general hear someone else's perspective about something and write it off by saying, oh, they're just virtue signaling. At no point in this show or any previous series that I've created history have I ever expected anyone to believe everything the way I see the world or the way I present it. I expect we are human adults, we are Satanists, and so we are going to study, not worship, we are going to appreciate others' opinions for just that fact. They are their own opinions. They came to it somehow. Maybe it's misinformed, maybe it's ill-informed, but until they can uh, discover truth for themselves of reality, that's where they are. And that's where I am when I give my opinions. And I think it's important to make sure that you understand simply because someone else has a dissenting opinion from yours does not mean they're attacking your opinion. We can share different ideas. We can disagree. It's okay. I don't mind it. And if you have a coherent argument to put up against mine, put it up there. I will treat it as validly as I will treat any opinion because we are human adults and Satanists. And that is what I give you. The basic respect that I appreciate your life experience and your perspective, and I will hear it out. But what I don't, and I won't ever do, is put up with childish behavior from supposed adults. And I, I will not provide a platform for it. So let's all put our grown-up pants on and stop with the uh, hashtag insult of the day and just, uh, you know, meet each other on common battleground and have it out if we have a disagreement verbally, intellectually, and let the light of the day have the truth lay on the field. Like, that's it. I don't know. Virtue signaling. I don't think it's a bad thing. I genuinely don't. And I gotta tell you, those of you who do, I think are horrible people. And you should never have that opinion. Shit, I'm doing it again. I'm virtue signaling. I am better than you. <laughs> Give me a break. Fucking people. All right, that's going to do it for this uh, Devil's Advocate. Let me see if you guys had anything to say really quick. Um, so as Satanists, how do we define Satanic judgment versus individualistic moral judgment? That is up to the individual Satanist. There is no collective moral that we must abide by. That's a Christian notion. That's an Islamic Judeo-Christian myth. We are beasts of the field. Our life experience is going to dictate what our morals are, informed by our culture, the society we live in, the family that raised us, and whatever they instilled in us, but hopefully, primarily by life experience and your own interpretation of that experience. Because that will change your perspectives, and it will inform the morals that you carry forth. And there is no right and wrong. There is no good and bad. That's all made up. That's fairy tale shit. We should not be thinking in those terms as Satanists. We are supposed to be beyond that dichotomy of good and bad, black and white. It's ridiculous. It drives me nuts. Uh, what else do we have? Virtue is inherent to morals. Morals tend to have religious connotations. With Satanists, morals tend to be self-assigned. Yeah, exactly, Zachary, exactly. I should have just scrolled up and read your own comment. <laughs> it would have been better. Uh, hey, he may video call with you. Try to set something up. He is reasonable. I don't know what that means. Um, all right. So, you're an atheist, actually. You come here for intelligence and life lessons, and you find at least a little solidarity of people 
persecuting people like us. You guys have an ally with me for sure. Well, thank you, Rusty G. Uh, don't need the allies, but if you feel comfortable here, you are welcome to be here. I think that's fantastic. Um, let's see. Bridging factors are rational self-interest, common sense. Well, yeah, I mean, common sense isn't very common, so that's a bit of a mis misnomer. Uh, puts away 2020 Trickers Handbook. <laughs> yeah. We, this, our cancel culture is insane. When, when you seriously take a step back, and it blows my mind, the irony of hearing Satanists engaging in cancel culture. Satanists. <sighs> We're supposed to be better than that more informed than that, willing to be wrong. Not having an overblown sense of self means you have to fall and accept that you've fallen from time to time, that you've made wrong choices and owned up to them, that you've witnessed wrongs that you have enacted in life and you've learned from them. That's humbling. That makes you more of a real individual, not higher and greater than all others. And whether you fall in a, a specific uh, zone of the um, uh, political spectrum uh, or whether you just distance yourself entirely from it, that's okay. That has nothing to do with Satanism. Nothing. And in fact, the fact that you either choose to be a, uh, 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 an angle, uh, uh, choose to be a part of a, a particular party or not, or distance yourself entirely because you're choosing it actively, that's better. So whether you're a staunch conservative or a staunch um, libertarian or a, a straight up liberal, it doesn't matter. You're, you can still be a Satanist and be any of those things and be just as authoritative and powerful in the life that you lead. We've got to stop with this ridiculous self-destruction of our culture. It's okay if there are statues that have been erected in the past to horrible people. That's been always the case. It's okay if they exist still. It doesn't mean that everyone believes everything that exists in this current day. And being aware of that history, having it actually open to be read and understood is going to help it so that doesn't happen again for future generations down the line. But if you whitewash it, if you wipe it all away, then people aren't going to be informed about it. They're not going to realize the missteps that were taken that got those people there. If there are missteps at all. We, we have to stop trying to silence the world at large if it differs from our opinion. And we have to, have to hear what they're actually saying. You don't have to agree with it. You don't have to like it. But it's either going to inform you and give you a better argument against it, or you might realize they weren't entirely wrong to begin with. And it doesn't have to be A or B, one or the other. But you should welcome dissenting conversations. You should be open to that. That's how we grow as human beings. All right. Anyway, I'm just virtuous signaling. <laughs> Let's do some infernal informant. This is real, people. <laughs> this is real. All right. So this article is from NBC News. Uh, Google tracked his bike ride past a burglarized home, and that made him a suspect. All right. So Google's legal investigations support team wrote this gentleman to let him know that local police had demanded information regarding his Google account. He has an Android phone, which was linked to his Google account. Uh, and like millions of other Americans, he used an assortment of Google products, including Gmail and YouTube. And now police seemingly wanted access to all of it. Uh, he says, quote, I was afraid I was going to get charged with something and I didn't know what. So if the police are asking for your information and you don't know about it, 
I could understand why you'd be terrified. And even if you didn't do anything wrong, you would still be completely freaked out. Well, this gentleman was. The notification from Google included a case number, so McRoy searched for it on the Gainesville Police Department's website and found a one-page investigation report on a burglary of an elderly woman's home 10 months earlier. Because the police had no suspect, after 10 months, they started doing what's called geofence warranting. So, they use geofence data based on your activity online, and yes, if you have a smartphone, if you have any phone that connects to the internet in, or, or cellular towers, people know where you are. As an advertiser, I create ads specifically targeting people who were in a location or within X amount of miles on any given date, and I feed information to them based on that data. Well, governments use that data in order to find perpetrators, right? So they're trying to solve who this burglar was. This guy was on his bike riding around the same route he rides all the time, tracking uh, his uh, exercise, which is a very normal thing to do, but it meant that he went past this burglarized house three times in like a week or something, and so the police immediately thought he was a prime suspect because they had no others. And the fact that they can just reach out and use your data without your knowledge, and in this particular case, they asked for more than was uh, publicly available, and so Google had to tell this gentleman, McRoy, look, you have to fight this in court if you don't want us to give it over to them because they're asking for it and by this date you need to file with the courts to stop it or we're going to hand it over and so i would be freaked out too all of a sudden i'd be going through all my thoughts like oh my gosh which porno sites have i visited in the last however many days they're searching you know like what do i have in my browser history you know you can go down many rabbit holes in the internet and every once in a while you run into a place where you're like ah oh, and you click out it's still there. They don't know how long you hung out there. They don't know if that's your regular stomping grounds. It just happens to be there. I would be losing my shit too. And it's a very messed up situation. Okay. Um, so he was worried if he went straight to the police that he was going to be arrested. I would honestly be concerned too if they're already asking for your private data. Uh, so he went to a lawyer, uh, Caleb Canyon, who dug around and learned that the notion had been prompted by a geofence warrant, a police surveillance tool that casts a virtual dragnet over crime scenes, sweeping up Google location data drawn from users' GPS, Bluetooth, Wi-Fi, and cellular collect, uh, connections from everyone nearby. Every one of you. Me, too. <laughs> Our data is being stored. This is what Snowden got in trouble for that he reported to the public. This is what the government has been doing illegally since the Patriot Act, since September 11th. We don't have any privacy. It is all being stored. And if some uh, uh, government entity at any time wants to find out about you or anyone within any given area that you happen to live in, all of your data is now subject to their perusal. Now, it's a huge constitutional issue that is being fought in court and through legislation, and it is never going to be going away anytime soon. Um, state and federal law enforcement authorities were increased, uh, increasing rapidly their geofencing warrant techniques by more than 1,500% from 2017 uh, to 2018 and by 500% from 2018 to 2019. It's just getting worse, and all of your data is out there. January 31st, Kenyon filed a motion in Alachua County Civil Court to render the warrant null and void. And the state's attorney office withdrew the warrant, asserting in a court filing that it was no longer necessary. He was no longer a suspect. Um, on February 24th, he dropped his legal challenge. And again, you can say, well, what are you worried about? If you didn't do anything wrong, then why do you care if people are looking at everything you've done? Except that our country tells us that we have a right to privacy and innocence until proven guilty. And by stealing our data without our knowledge, by building up profiles about us and charging us or filing a warrant for your arrest for something that you had nothing to do with simply because your geodata was in a specific area without any other evidence... Well, it's gone wrong, and it's gone wrong before. In uh, Arizona, there was a case where a man was mistakenly arrested and jailed for murder, largely based on the Google data received from a geofencing warrant.
This is all illegally done. Like, it is against the U.S. Constitution. But it's being done. And government uh, uh, um, agencies love it because it helps them catch criminals. And citizens may like it because it helps them catch criminals. But every once in a while, the wrong person's caught up in it. And that's why I have a serious problem with it. And so I would just make an argument to everyone. You'll never in this world be able to live off grid. Very few people are capable of doing it, certainly not in industrialized nations. You have to work at it if you're going to do it. So be smart. Turn off uh, tracker, uh, trackers on your phones. Uh, do everything you can to make sure that your digital footprint is limited. Stop sharing your fucking food photos or contributing in every hashtag argument online and just be content with living in the real world. And then the actuality of you finding yourself in a situation like this is very slim. And I don't like the idea, the argument that says, why do you worry about it if you didn't do anything wrong? We have a right to privacy. We are supposed to have a right to privacy in this country. And whether or not I need it doesn't matter. We are supposed to have it. And I don't want to start giving up the rights that my country gave me for a sense of security. We've been doing it since September 11th and arguably before that. And we're doing it every day by engaging in social media and by sharing every single stupid fucking thought that comes into your stupid fucking head. How about you just stop? <laughs> right? It's possible. You can make a choice and just stop. All right. <laughs> and I, I read the article and it, it just sort of like started clicking in my head like, there's nothing we can do about this. There's nothing we can do about this. We will forever be tracked like ants in a maze, oh, rats in a maze, ants in an anthill, just watched from the outside glass pane with their fingerprints and nose and breath marks on the window panes staring at us, moving our little pieces of uh, crumbs or leaves around the colony. It's kind of unnerving when you think about it. And if you don't think about it, well, now you have to, because <laughs> I just brought it to your attention. Um, we should be aware of it, people. Minimize your digital footprint. Minimize your footprint, period. I, I would argue as a Satanist, in my personal opinion, <laughs> that uh, we should make an effort to minimize our uh, economic footprint, our environmental footprint, our digital footprint, and our bare footprint. I don't know what that means. Just, <laughs> just do it. Uh, we have a right to privacy in private locations. When in public, you have no right to privacy, hence why someone can take your picture without consent. Yeah, except that they can't use that picture without your consent. And so even in public places, you do have rights of use if it's being used commercially or against your own self-interest. Uh, you've considered many times to go to a dumb phone, but the access to the internet is very valuable, especially if you're someone who's trying to promote your art, works, or more. Yeah. And this is something that, you know, I hear a lot about um, uh, other individuals bringing up to me in the context of, well, how do you promote your show or how do you promote a business if you don't meet people where they're living, i.e. online uh, using social media? I don't know if you guys knew this. There was life before the Internet. There was business, successful businesses before the Internet. Like it exists. It's a real thing. Like, if you step outside, there are houses filled with people. There are buildings filled with businesses. Not all of them are online. The majority of them, yes, are. And nowadays, the common consensus is to be successful, you must be online. But that's a consensus, not a fact. If you are producing something of value, it will be known about. People will talk about it. Like, it's just a, a fact. It's a reality of it. Unless you live in the middle of nowhere and no one has any exposure to your work, then, of course, no one's going to hear about it because you're just isolated on this desert island like Robinson Crusoe or something. But if you live in a society 
where people are walking around and driving around and interacting with each other and getting coffee in the morning and having dinner in restaurants. It used to be called networking to have interpersonal conversations. That was networking, building up repertoire between other professionals. Now networking is online social media, but networking was different back in the day. I would argue that's a better way to do it. Um, anyway, yeah, galleries and shows if you're uh, doing uh, traditional art. Um, anyway, th there's a lot of ways to promote your businesses without being in social media. I mean, marketing in and of itself. There's trade publications, there's magazines, there's newspapers. The printed media is not dead. It's alive and well. And of course, you have to advertise your business if you want people to find it. But word of mouth helps too. Okay, so the second article. Let's get into this really quick. Oh, this guy, this is funny. All right, come and take it. GOP Representative Buck wields AR-15 in office, dares Biden and O'Rourke. So Republican Representative Ken Buck posted a video on Twitter Friday of him wielding an AR-15 in his office in Washington, D.C. I would argue what he's doing right there is not wielding an AR-15. He's just standing next to it. There's a difference. But anyway, um, he was daring former Vice President Joe Biden and former Representative Beto O'Rourke, Democrat of Texas, to come and take it uh, because Beto O'Rourke replied, hell yes, we're going to take your AR-15, your AK-47, in response to a question about his proposal to buy back military-style assault weapons. Biden said of the former Texas congressman, I want to make something clear. I'm going to guarantee you this is not the last you're seeing of this guy. You're going to take care of the gun problem with me. You're going to be the one who leads the effort. Buck brought the gun to Capitol Hill on 2015 and said he submitted to local and federal regulations, taking away the capabilities necessary to actually fire the weapon. So in this particular case, he can't wield it. It's inoperable. It's literally a statue at this point. Like there's, it, you can't use it. You can't fire it. So he can't wield it. <laughs> so if Beto O'Rourke and Biden walked into his office to grab it, the only thing he could do is hit him over the head with it. So what's your threat based on, dumbass? People. Oh, it blows my mind. All right. So the reaction to this, uh, Representative Eric Swalwell of Democrat California, who is a fierce gun control advocate, used his platform as a 2020 Democratic presidential candidate to raise the issue, tweeted in response, no one is coming for your inoperable gun, Ken. Hashtag shooting blanks, which is a great response. Hashtag shooting blanks. Uh, Representative Haley Stevens, Democrat of uh, Michigan, tweeted that this behavior is threatening and unacceptable. I feel unsafe with this in my place of work. It's inoperable. How does this make you feel unsafe? It is inoperable. He cannot use it to fire at you. It's ridiculous. But, you know, everyone's got to have their fucking, everyone's got a virtue signal. Um, Capitol Hill police gave him permission to display the gun, even though now that he's brought attention to it, people are going out of their way to try and uh, get uh, them to have him remove it. Okay, here's a question. And this is something that I always find very interesting. Now, I personally used an M4 uh, when I was in the military. I had a wonderful 203 grenade launcher underneath it, which was awesome. <laughs> to uh, qualify with. It was a great, great weapon. And it's probably my favorite rifle I've ever fired uh, in my life. Um, the R-15 is supposed to be the civilian version of that. Uh, AK-47 is just an old school... Um, I'm terrible with firearms. Um, but it's just an old school machine gun. <clears throat> so if you want to get rid of assault-style weapons, then it makes sense that you would use your position in politics to do so and everyone who's in opposition the greatest argument they make is that if you ban these types of weapons only criminals will have the weapons and then when you suggest you ban the weapons they say come and get it and i'll fucking kill you thereby proving their own point that only criminals will have them and revealing them as criminals if there is a law passed saying that to own this weapon is illegal and you own it, then you're a fucking criminal, you idiot. So yeah, of course only criminals will have them if you ban them, you dumbass. 
And why then, if you claim to be a law-abiding gun owner, would you keep said firearm when it was through law, the legal system, made illegal? I thought you were law-abiding. Not anymore? Suddenly it's not law-abiding when it's something that you don't particularly like? Huh. Well, welcome to a society, dumbass. <laughs> you don't always get your way, man. <laughs> That's life. I don't know if you know that. And I don't know if any of you... Oh my gosh, my Siri is recording everything I'm saying. Look at that. Weird. See? Google! The military! <laughs> the FBI! <laughs> They're geofencing me! Damn it! Um, did I say Siri once and that's why it started recording? That's weird. I don't, I don't care if people have firearms. I, I'm not against firearms. Um, I'm against insane people having firearms. I'm for licensing and train mandatory training. We have to go through um, uh, uh, driving tests to drive cars. Why not go through proper firearm handling tests and qualifying to own firearms? It makes perfect sense to me. It means that only people who are responsible can then own them. And yeah, there's going to be people who get them illegally. But guess what? That's life! I, I just, it, it blows my mind that that is the argument. Well, then only criminals will have guns. Meh. Yeah, you, you stupid ass! You're the fucking criminal in this situation! <laughs> so stupid. Ugh. Uh, get proper clearance to use it if you want it. Yeah, what's wrong with that? I just don't understand why that's a big deal. There's no reason for a mentally unstable person to own uh, a bar. AR, Armalite, not assault rifle. Nicht wahr? All right, well, uh, I do like the idea that, um, the irony that's just being lost on this type of an argument. Like, and it's not even an operational firearm. So what, what kind of posturing? Is this just for his base to say, yeah, my representative is tough? And then, I don't know if you guys can see this, but in the image, it's like all it has a flag, uh, like wrap around it. Can we stop using the flag as a, like a, your cultural toilet paper and putting it on everything? When I see a flag, I see stripes representing original colonies, and I see stars representing every state in the Union. What I don't see is an excuse to put it on underwear or a shirt or have it wrapped around a firearm. I, I just, I don't understand that. And more to the point, the people who died defending that goddamn flag, who are continually out there right now, are the only ones properly trained in its use. And they have to go through regular qualifying to use them. Whereas you, as an idiot civilian who has had no experience, doesn't know shit about shit, and yes, this is in general, I know some of you have had training, um, you're waving it around like it's some sort of patriotic dick in your hand. It's a tool, you tool. <laughs> it's meant to defend the safety of yourself or your family, or to hunt with. That's it. And if you have a tool that does neither of those well, then there's no reason to have it at all. I.e., an inoperable firearm hanging on your wall that you're just using to say, yeah, I'm on your side, buddy. <laughs> Fucking idiots. Oh, man. All right. Let's see. Um... Yeah, I think that's all I want to talk about about that. <laughs> Let's, uh, we're actually like running late too. Oh man. Let's do this third segment. Creature feature. switch up this image here we're gonna be talking briefly oh i love this book train spotting so i was in college and i had already seen the movie a few times it was released um man 
I can't remember when the movie was released. It was the late 90s, I think. Uh, anyway, I saw the movie, fell in love with it. Um, and then when I was working at a Barnes Noble cafe, putting myself through college after the military, uh, I ran across the novel by Irvin Welsh. Here's the problem with the novel is that it's a collection of short stories written in either Scots, Scottish English, or British English. Phonetically. <laughs> Phonetically. It is a difficult read for this guy to understand what he's reading. Like, I can hear accents, and I can understand what they're saying, but just for example, I have a Robbie Burns uh, poetry book on my shelf behind me. Trying to read that, because it's phonetic too, is a nightmare. And then trying to discern what is being said in the phonetic reading of it is a nightmare. And so I was not, I didn't even try to uh, read this book after I picked it up at the bookstore for the first time. And it wasn't until years later that I got the audiobook and I just started listening to it. And again, love the movie, love the book. It is great. Now, what's different about the movie and the book is that the movie is all told from Renton's perspective. Uh, and it's, you know, Ewan McGregor is playing um, Renton, uh, Mark Renton, Rent Boy, as they call him. The novelization is actually told in seven different parts, and it's primarily from Renton's perspective, but each chapter and each book has different people narrating it from within their own heads. Uh, so this was the first novel by the Scottish writer Irvin Welsh, published in 1993. Um, it was set in the late 1980s about uh, heroin users, ostensibly. Now, of course, it's a whole bunch of other people surrounded by addicts and addict culture. Uh, so whether it's alcohol, drugs, sex, everyone in here is an addict of some sort. Uh, the primary characters are Mark Rentboy Renton, Simon Sickboy Williamson, Daniel Spud Murphy, Francis Franco Begbie, uh, Davy Mitchell, Lo Tommy Lawrence, Rab, Second Prize McLaughlin. And again, it's just an exploration of individuals in a time. So in the same way that Brett Easton Ellis does these really wonderful sort of, and it's, it's tough to say period pieces, but ultimately that's how I perceive them, of um, Less Than Zero or um, even American Psycho. These moments captured in time centered around interesting characters, that's exactly what this is. And if you've ever grown up in any type of drug environment, then you immediately start connecting with behavior and types of personalities that you find in these stories that are being told in this one book. Um, it is so good. It, and you're just laughing out loud in some cases or you're absolutely horrified and stricken with uh, sadness uh, or internal pain because of what these characters are going through. And if you've ever seen the movie, there's this really horrible moment that is sort of a, a, a life-changing trajectory event for Sick Boy, where uh, a baby that he helped father ends up suffocating to death while Renton and the mother were high on, on a heroin uh, binge. And it just fucks up his entire perspective on life, and he loses it. And he sort of just leaves uh, town, and he ends up becoming like a pimp. And But the story is so absurd that it can be nothing but reality. Like, that's what's so wonderful about it. I never lived in a den like they live in, um, but I was around a drug culture growing up. Uh, I was living out of this weird guy's apartment, a duplex, where we had tons of different people coming in. Uh, the drug of the day was cocaine and um, um, crystal meth, and it was just pervasive. It was everywhere in that house. And so not running across these sort of uh, crazy trip experiences of dropping acid and everyone going downtown and crawling around graveyards or uh, taking a bunch of cocaine and going to clubs and uh, uh, like coffee bars was a big thing when I was a kid where everyone, you know, all the goth kids and metal kids and stuff would go to coffee, coffee bars. Most of them were gothic oriented or something. But that was just like, that was the day. These are the people that I knew tangentially or directly and I'm reading about it in a completely different country, in a completely different time, through someone else's personal life experience and uh, fictitious end. And it's fascinating. I absolutely loved it. So again, I had a hard time reading it because for me, reading Scottish dialogue, uh, dialogue, dialogue phonetically is very challenging. But hearing it, as you do with an audiobook, 
It's no problem at all. And so I highly recommend, if you have not read it, the book, Train Spotting, if you, if you like the film, um, but the barrier for you was that phonetic uh, writing style, pick up the audiobook because it is genuinely good. And it's, it's just one of those books that takes me back to a time and place that I never fully lived in, but that even though it was wildly dangerous and filled with stupid, stupid decisions, I, I reminisce fondly on that because that helped inform who I am now. And that's what I loved, excuse me, so much about it. Check it out. It sold over 1 million copies in the UK by 2015 and has been translated into 30 different language. And the writing style is sort of stream of consciousness um, or representative of uh, psychological realism, where you're getting character motivations and evolutions through the experiences that they've had from within their own minds. It's really, really great. And it's just a wonderful study of human, human expression and, and, and nature when you're in addictive lifestyles. It's fascinating. Totally fascinating. Completely worth it. Check it out. Um, Iron Irvin Welsh is Scotland's Brett Easton Ellis. Dude, Greg, it's great. There's a prequel book that he's written. There's a sequel book that he's written. The film was put out as T2, but the original sequel book was called Porno. I haven't seen it yet. I haven't read it yet. I want to read the book before I see the film, but love it, man. So doggone good. Love it. And that's it. That's all I had. That's the show. I got two minutes. I'm early. Hell yeah. Hey, dog. Thanks for joining. Even if you're late, you can always watch the show after the fact. Thank you guys for tuning in. Thank you for joining in the chat and sharing your thoughts and everything. Um, assault rifle, any variation, immediate, intermediate range, magazine-fed military rifles, such as the AK-47, that can be set for automatic or semi-automatic fire. Yeah, I think there was a confusion, Zachary, when, when I said AK-47 was, um, was an assault rifle, the individual thought I was saying that's what AR meant, and that's not what I was saying at all. It's a machine gun. Like, that's that's what it is. So that's all I was getting out. Um, it's interesting. You'll have to pick it up. Different perspectives. It sounds a lot. It has a lot to offer, although the writing may be odd. I find that appealing. It is a little bit to get used to. But again, brilliantly written. Really, really great. Like, I, I highly, highly recommend it. You know, I, I've read uh, Brett Easton Ellis's American Psycho twice. I've, um, again, you know, I'm a movie guy. So I've seen the film dozens of times um and then i just picked up the audiobook because i do a long commute to and from my profession and so i have a lot of time to listen the audiobook is just wonderful it's fascinating hearing because when you read of course you have your own inner dialogue and your own inner voice that you're hearing it from when you watch a film then you start to attach the actor's to the roles that you're hearing and reading on your behalf. It's interesting hearing someone else read the same novel that you've known and you've read multiple times and you've seen the adaptations of on screen and you get different takeaways through those different ways of receiving it. And that's what I love about storytelling. And whether or not that story is a hand down folk tale through different cultures and time and it naturally evolves or whether it's written by the author sold to a studio the studio makes a film they do a, a stage adaptation each time that story is told it's in a slightly different way or there's different focuses on different elements of that story or if the story is recounted to you the the individual recounting it are going to latch on to pieces of that story that really spoke to them that may not be the ones that you would pick up on but you're getting a different take of that story this is human expression 101 this is how our history was written through storytelling the creative imagination that all of us have within us to be able to consume a narrative, twist it to our own cultural or personal reflections, and then share it back out again and allow the story itself to have a life of its own through its retelling. God, it's, it's a brilliant way to experience what it means to be a human or how human beings interpret the world around them. That is what I love so much. So I want to know, damn it, what are you guys reading? And if you're not reading, do it. Pick up a book. Just go to a library. Hey, guess what? Socialist organizations out there exist. In the library, the public library in America, I'm sure other countries have it too. Just go. You get lost 
in the rows and rows of different stories that you can literally pick any of them and just start reading and just start learning something brand new or hear a story from a different perspective or told in a completely different way. It is fucking awesome and is the best way to understand what it means to be human. The best way. Get off my soapbox. Read. So the next book that I'm in the middle of, again, is the third Abrat novel by Clive Barker. I'm a huge Barker nut, whether it's film or whether it's novels or short stories. I've read everything he's put out, and I haven't, for whatever reason, been able to sit down and get through the third Abrat book yet. I read like, I have like five different books that I'm reading at the same time. That's just what I do. I start something and then I stop it and I'm, I'm like reading other things or I'm listening to different books and then I'll perform readings of other books and then I'll go back to other, like it's just a never ending cycle of, of different literature that I'm going back to until I eventually finish it and pick up another one as I'm still reading the others. I don't know if you guys do the same thing, but um, I'd be interesting. Oh dude, I love, I love Dracula. That is such a great, great book. Um, read, read. For fuck's sake, read. If you don't want to read with your eyes, then read with your ears because your brain consumes it the exact same. Um, get audiobooks. It's completely worth it. Hearing stories, like it's great to sit in a movie, but you get so much more depth of character and setting in a novel where you can just consume it at your own pace and you're not trying to wait for the next 15 minute uh, inciting incident on screen. Like you can just sit back and enjoy it and revel in it. And when something happens, you can just stop and just let it wash over you and be in that moment and feel that moment and then continue at your own pace. It is the best thing ever. So please people, read. That's all. That's going to do it. Uh, thank you guys so much. If you want to support the channel, if you like what I'm doing, hit the subscribe button, hit the like button, share it, let people know. If you're getting this by audio podcast, which is available by searching Reverend Campbell wherever you get your podcasts, give me a rating. I would appreciate it. And it's only going to support the show. Uh, you can, of course, sign up to the email list. And if you want to learn more about Satanism or the Church of Satan, there's one place to go, and that is churchofsatan.com. Educate yourself, people. It's a good thing. That's going to do it for this episode. Thank you all once again so very much. And until next week, hail Satan.